1: wherever podcasts are available.
2: Hi, I'm Shanti. And I'm Lynx. And you're listening to Muses.
1: Enjoy the show.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Muses. Today, we had the immense pleasure of interviewing an incredible artist who also happens to be a dear friend of mine. Glockabelle is a kick-ass musician who plays two Casio VL tones and a glockenspiel with eight thimbles, a technique she invented herself. She sings in both English and French, though mostly French, and she puts on one hell of a live show. You guys have no idea. She is incredible. I've been really excited to have her on the podcast and to share with our listeners her killer sound. She is so unique. You guys are going to love her. I know it. We really hope that you enjoy the interview and make sure to follow Glockabel for future releases and some upcoming tours. Enjoy! Oh, I love you. hello Annabelle thank you so much for being here with us I've been wanting you on the podcast for a while now and I was hoping we were going to be able to do this face-to-face at some point me and Shanti were gonna go down to New York at some point uh, this spring but obviously situations have changed I'm glad we were able to do this remotely how are you doing through all this
3: I'm hanging in there, Lynx. Thanks so much to you and Shanti for having me. I know it's been been a long time coming that we were going to do this interview, but I'm super stoked that you guys uh, figured out a way to make this happen. And um, I'm good. I mean, times are definitely weird, but Mm -hmm. amen for art and music and pets and animals. (laughs) Because I don't know how how I would get through this otherwise without... um, Playing my music, listening to my favorite kinds of music, and and sharing that joy with the world. Yes, that's exactly
2: what I've been doing as well. Just lots of cuddles with the cat, lots of music every day. Just uh, enjoying, you know, those things that mean so much, and uh, focusing on the podcast. It's great that you're able to focus, you know, on music, and uh, I'm so happy that you're out of manhattan at the moment and you got some space around you that you also can enjoy and less less of a worry out there right
3: for sure for sure yeah things just were really getting crazy in southern new york state and um fortunately now i'm surrounded by horses and nature and uh it's it's like a postcard here so so not complaining (laughs) that's wicked and how's your bird doing uh, boo Boo-boo, boo, boo boo is good. Boo boo, are you here?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone has to follow Annabelle on Instagram because uh, you post the cutest. You have a cockatiel,
1: a... right? Yes, I'm obsessed I... with cockatiels.
3: Oh my gosh, mine is just like he's my heartbeat. I got him, I think, three years ago now. He picked me. He just hopped on my finger at the pet store and was like, you'll do. Let's get out of (laughs) here.
1: I got a cockatiel when he was a baby when I was like 10. And so I got to raise a little cockatiel for a while. And yeah, they are. It's wild to think, but they are just as expressive and they're just as emotional as any other kind of animal. Like when you look into their eyes, you really see. I don't know, something. Yeah, there's a personality there. I never realized that about birds mm-hmm. until
2: Annabelle started posting her videos, and I was like, "Wow!" Like, I I get a sense of like this this bird's character, and he's <laughs> just so, so sweet and fun. And it looks like you guys have a good time together.
3: He's like, I don't know, he's he's my dance partner. Uh, we sing together. He likes to keep the beat by banging on the bars of the cage. And he likes, he seems to have the same taste, especially in world music that I do. So he loves craft work, likes electronic music. It's just like a perfect match. So I'm so grateful that he's here with me because he's uh, my little shadow. Oh,
1: yeah. that's amazing.
2: So you're, you have such a fascinating sound and your live shows are just insanely awesome. And I was just so curious To discuss like your musical background. I know you're classically trained. I was just wondering like about that journey and what were you listening to growing up? Like what what has brought you to playing, you know, Cassios and the Glockenspiel?
3: Yeah. (laughs) Great question. Well, yes, I started when I was seven playing classical piano. And throughout my childhood and adolescence, I was going into competitions and playing with orchestras as a solo, playing concertos and being a solo classical pianist. And when I was about 21 or 22, and I was studying uh, at the École Normale de Musique, which is this conservatory in Paris, I had to decide if I was going to stay in the world of classical piano or if I was going to try and branch out. And I always felt somewhat limited and less unique like it was less personal for me to be playing classical music which which so many people do mm-hmm. and that i wanted to take my technique to do something else something innovative something more passionate something that reached my own spark and a neighbor of mine had one of these casio vl tone pocket keyboards you guys have probably seen them they're like from the early 80s they've got cool little beats. they are also calculators and uh, keyboards. Mm-hmm. And I just saw this Casio VL tone and I thought, this is the cutest thing. And it mm-hmm. sounds so good. And if there's a way that I could start arranging my classical repertoire onto this little Casio, well... You know, then I wouldn't need to like have a big uh, acoustic piano wherever I'm playing, and I could just travel with it in my backpack. So that's kind of how this whole journey began. Um, first, the Casio with uh, classical music renditions, like especially Bach seems to fit pretty well on a Casio, Bach and Mozart and Beethoven, uh, those arrangements on the Casio VL the tone. Then my mother sent my Glockenspiel to Paris and was like I'm going to put this in the sh- in the trash so unless you want it I will mail it to you and so she mailed it there were no mallets accompanying it and I needed some so instead of getting mallets I invented my own technique for playing it with my hands using a thimbles like as if I was playing a piano
2: yes that's so amazing and creative and I love it I love it so much do you play the thimbles like all the way down? Like, have you worn out thimbles by doing this?
3: Yes, I have worn off the tips and then put them on a necklace. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Your creativity is never ending. (laughs) I think one of the things I really love about the sound of the Casio's, especially, is that it has this nostalgic factor. For, I guess, our generation, like, growing up in the 90s, and they use that for, like, Nintendo and things like that, and there's something, like, so familiar about it, yet so unique, and you don't really hear it anymore. And it's just such a cool sound.
3: It's very iconic, for sure. Recently, I did a cover of the song Da 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 by Trio, this German uh, synth-pop group, and they used this, at the beginning of the song, this very iconic rock beat from the Casio that's, like, and then, you know, the melodies come in Devo Devo also uh, was the, they were a fan of this Casio, I think Kraftwerk too. But for sure, it's nostalgic, like even the jingle.
1: Yeah,
3: Reminds me of my childhood. It's so warm and happy. And like, <laughs> it's, it's just real fun some of your songs you sing
2: in French, do you, is that just like natural? Are there times where you're like, oh, I want to do this one in English. I want to do this one in French. How does that work?
3: Well, I would say for the most part, the greater, greater percentage of my songs are in French. And that's because, well, I got to singing last in my musical career. I was never officially trained. So I was a bit shy about singing. Being bilingual, I just felt more comfortable uh, singing the kind of Dadaist, surrealist lyrics that I sing in French. I just feel like there's such a rich heritage of surrealism, whether it's like Eugène Ionesco, who, you know, wrote like Le, Le Rhinoceros, uh, it's like one of my favorite plays, or, you know, even even Eric Satie, definitely surrealistic in his compositions, I just always felt that for the kind of lyrics that I write, it's more appropriate to sing them in French than in English. And I also just felt less uh, self-conscious singing in French in front of American audiences (laughs) because I felt also, well, if I'm singing all this nonsense in English, Americans are not going to buy this. They're going to (laughs) be like, what is she singing about? This is so dumb. So, uh, you know, if you throw together in French, French always makes everything sound better. So <laughs> I
2: was curious. Yeah, like what's what is your writing process? Like, what is it that inspires you to write these amazing, fun lyrics?
3: Oh, geez, I don't know lots of things. Um, for one, I mean, I think I've always kept a very, a very childlike, naive side to it's just part of my personality. I think I don't know, I like random word associations. There was a game that the Surrealists used to play called Cadavre Exquis. Um, Chantilly, you might know about this. It's like random kind of trains of thought. Maybe you're looking at un croissant, croissant, you think le beurre, le beurre. Um, So that's croissant, that's butter for those following. Uh, (laughs) And then I don't, it's just, it's just kind of whatever pops up in my head that sounds good, that rhymes well, the cadences kind of go together. But I have definitely written things where I'm like, oh, that's that's just too much. I can't I can't sing that. So (laughs) I don't know. It's perhaps also, you know, poetry that I read, books that I read. I always think of the creative process is just you're always doing research, right? You're like listening to songs that inspire you, lyrics that inspire you, watching films, watching random stuff on YouTube. And then it just all goes into your brain like this one big soup, right? This one big bouillabaisse, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you just kind of stir it up and then whatever comes out of, uh, out of your mouth is you make it your own. I forget who said nothing is actually original, like everything's been done. It's just how it's been rearranged. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I fully agree with that. But <laughs> it's like, you know, you absorb things. And then when the moment is right, you make it your own and make your own recipe. Do you tend to write more
2: on the Casios than the Glockenspiel? Or is that is it always just you're playing with something and, you know, something inspires you, a spark happens? Or do you have like a little bit of a process there with the instrument?
1: How often are you playing like the, as you call it, the acoustic piano? So in terms of,
3: well, in terms of the writing process, I, I mostly, I would say, sit at the Casio and noodle around, like a melody will pop into my mind. And then I'll start to think about, well, what kind of chords are going to go with that? What's the skeleton of the song going to look like? Is it going to be like an A, B, A, B format? Is it going to have a chorus? How am I going to put this whole musical recipe, if you will, together? But in terms of acoustic pianos, I actually haven't been playing that much, and part of the reason is that I just travel a lot, and the current setup I have of two small Casio keyboards, 11 effects pedals, a drum machine, and my guacenspiel, like, all fits on my back, and, you know, I'm able to just take those out of the bag and, and work on those instruments. But I do miss, I do miss my piano, and... Given the current circumstances of the virus and the fact that venues are going to be shut down for a while, I mean, I might just go and get my piano and bring it to where I am now because there's, there's nothing that compares to playing a real acoustic piano.
1: I really miss playing the piano as well. I had one growing up, and then once I moved out of my family home, I never had one again. So I actually, one of the first things I'm going to do when we move into our house is to get a piano and a friend of mine who moves them said um, the difficult thing about getting a piano isn't actually finding one it's just getting somebody to move it I have a couple of friends that move pianos and that's going to be one of the things that I that I try to do as soon as I get there but when I was growing up Annabelle um, I could only read music so I could read sheet music and uh, I had a really hard time playing by ear and then my older brother on the other hand couldn't read sheet music, but he could sit down and he could play like Benny and the Jets or like a U2 song or anything he heard on the radio, he could put it into the piano. Which one are you more inclined to, um, to choose? You mean reading music or just going by ear? Yeah. Probably
3: because, I mean, I just had it just really, what do they say? You know, through classical piano, I just had it kind of ironed into me that I always had to be reading music. Mm. So, I mean, yes, if I'm going to go and play the classics, you know, I'll pick up some sheet music and take it from there. See if I, you know, maybe I'll remember something by memory. But with regards to the Glockabel show, nothing is written down. Everything is just in my ears and my muscle memory. And I just, I just go, I just improvise. But also there's like a song format that I just work around from my mind. Nothing is written down. Cool. Yeah. I remember
2: you coming here to Toronto for a visit during the film festival. I think it was in 2015 because you contributed music for a short film called Concerning the Bodyguard that was narrated by Salman Rushdie. I was curious how that came about, what that experience was like for you. Would you want to
3: score other films in the future, yeah, for sure. I'd love to. People have always said to me that they felt that the sound that I create and also the style I create could be just, just perfect for soundtracks. So it's definitely something that I'd like to do more of. The Toronto Film Festival appearance and um, providing the soundtrack for Concerning the Bodyguard came about in a pretty, uh, in a pretty like unusual way. Uh, I had done a session with WFMU, a radio station in Jersey City, New Jersey, and um, a recording of my rendition of Eric Satie's No Number no. 1 for Glockenspiel was posted onto WFMU's free music archive, which if you're not familiar with, is just an incredible resource of lots of live radio sessions and music from artists all around the world who who want to have their website, um, I mean, sorry, on their music on this free music archive. It might actually have been discontinued by now. I think I remember reading that. But at the time of Concerning the Bodyguard, this archive was still up. So this film director uh, from LA, his name was Kazra Farhani, he directed Concerning the Bodyguard and contacted me one day and said, hey, I heard Your Eric Satie on WFMU's website, and I would like to use it for my movie. And I said, wow. And at first, I mean, I just, I had no idea who was, you know, writing to me. Um, Next thing I know, he told me that he had entered it into the Cannes Film Festival, but that it hadn't gotten in, but it got into Toronto. Then it was a selection at Toronto, and then (laughs) a few months later, I found myself sitting in a chair that Christopher Walken had just sat in for an interview. And they were interviewing me. And I was like, how is this even happening?
2: <laughs> yeah. And there's a really cool video of you performing it on YouTube for people who want to check that
3: out. Yes. Yes. There is the, I think they call it the Glockabel Lightbox session. Is it Hack yeah. or Lightbox? Lightbox. Yeah. Lightbox. Yes. So, yeah, it it was it was so, so nice to come up um, and really nice of them to do an interview and have me showcase this thimble technique that I do on the walk. And you were there, Lynx, and we got to hang out and it was it was so nice to see you and uh, and walk around. And you were going to see a lot of movies, I remember.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm I'm a film fanatic and TIFF is definitely a highlight
3: every year. And uh, you met Salman Rushdie? So he could not make it to the festival, so I wow. I did not meet him. But I met all the ac- the other actors from the cast, which was cool. Like, to see them in front of me, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I don't know, just the whole experience was, was very, very memorable. How did and the then- two of
1: you guys meet?
3: We actually, it's funny
2: because if it weren't for Pamela DeBar... I wouldn't have met Annabelle because I met Annabelle through one of the dolls in one of Miss P's writing classes. No way. Yeah. And we went to New York and we met and really hit it off. And I I love Annabelle so much. She's an amazing woman and she's so inspiring and your music is just so good. So it is, it is pretty cool. And like, I actually met Shanti through, Pamela and that group too so
1: they it's really just owe Pamela our
2: lives honestly it's it's crazy like how how things like that happen yeah and that was like we must have met maybe six years ago at least six or seven I mean it feels like it was not that long ago but that sounds about right Yep. Yeah. I know when I was looking up when you were here and for the film festival I was like wow that was like five years ago already crazy it's crazy how time flies and i usually stay with annabelle when i go to new york and we have a lot of fun running around manhattan and
1: yeah oh that sounds fun (laughs) (laughs) i know remember traveling how i long for those days
2: About. Yes. You've also collaborated with some other artists, the Go Team, Kid I love Kid the Go Millions. Team. Yay. <laughs> How is that for you, collaborating with other people, since you normally are sort of like a one-woman band? And
3: what other artists would you like to work with? Oh, the second part is a bit of a tough question, um, but I'll answer the first part, and then hopefully my my brain will have formulated an answer to the second part. <laughs> Well, yeah, in terms of collaboration. So, um, I mean, of course, I love collaborating, especially, you know, if it's like the right vibe and the right energy and everybody's just, you know, overall enthusiastic about what the others are contributing. It's awesome. With the Go team, a funny thing happened in that, like, I, I didn't know them at first and I only had one song up on my band camp. I hadn't even released my EP yet. And just from that one song, one of the members of the Go team found me and then asked if I wanted to sing a single for the song, I mean, for for their new album. And again, I read the email and I was like, this can't be real. I know the Go team. How is this possibly real? (laughs) (sighs) And like, what are the chances you have one song on Bandcamp and the Go team finds you? So... I replied and I said, is this really the go team? And they said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And before I knew it, I was on a plane flying to London to be in the music video for the song is called Catch Me on the Rebound. And then a few months after that, I was on tour opening for them in Europe and then opening for them in the U.S., and on the U.S. tour is when I worked with Kid Millions. Kid Millions is an amazing uh, drummer, an overall person. And he, uh, I, I said, hey, I, I need a drummer for this tour. Are you up for it? And he said, with the GO team, for sure. And um, and then there we were on tour in California, in New York, West Coast and East Coast, um, so yeah, collaborations collaborations can be really great. They can also sometimes be complicated, but overall good. In terms of who I would like to work with, ooh, I don't know. I've I've always really been into Yoko Ono. Yes, I love, uh. I love her Twitter feed. And gosh, I don't. You know, you girls know that song uh, Yang Yang. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I just love that song. It's
1: one of my favorites. I just think she's such a badass.
3: Her
0: um, Twitter and- feed is
1: basically just retweeting Yoko.
0: You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. Table read podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine.
2: Yes, <laughs> she yeah. is like a genius. Like everything that she says, it's it's interesting too because she's one of those people that like she says things that seem so simple, yet they're so profound. And you're like, why didn't I think of that? Like, yes, you're right. Like, I I, I love her. She's. What an artist. What an incredible woman.
3: Just incredible. I had the chance to see her once. I think she was on the same stage as Patti Smith. And <sighs> it was some kind of benefit. And I I just couldn't believe my eyes that I was looking at both of them. In terms of other artists, definitely, definitely without a question. Oh, my gosh. She inspires me so much. Speaking of a badass, Laurie Anderson. Oh, amazing love her. And I have met her a few times because Kid Millions actually has played and I think still plays drums with her. And I remember approaching her and just not being able to speak, but just somehow muttering out that my drummer was her drummer. And she was like, cool.
2: (laughs) I I love I love that both of the women you pick to are like muses themselves
3: and incredible artists on their own as well. Yes. And just, you know, just goddesses. They've just been around for so long and they, they've been consistent in how awesome they are. And just, I don't know, Laurie Anderson. Um, I saw two virtual virtual reality VR exhibit, um, which he has currently up at mass mocha. So there is a museum up in the Berkshire mountains of Massachusetts and if you ever get a chance to go there, go and see Lori Anderson's VR installations because they will blow your mind. Wow. I can't even imagine. They must be so
2: amazing. Yeah, she's an incredible artist. And like Yoko, they span more than just music. They cover so much. Like They're, they're incredible women. You've also had the opportunity to see someone that I haven't got to see, but I love. And I think you're also inspired by her, uh, Lydia Lunch, right?
3: Yes. Yes, I've seen Lydia Lunch, I think, a few times. Um, And speaking of, you know, badass ladies who have consistently proven themselves for decades, she is definitely in that group. Yeah. I feel like you're also
2: in that group because your live performances are something else. Like, you You take people past music, your you're visual. Tell listeners what an experience of seeing guacabella is like. What should they expect if they haven't seen you before they're going to come to your show?
3: Oh, boy. <laughs> I would describe the whole performance as a synth, you know, Casio, guacenspiel. So basically synthesizer, if you will exorcism where I'm <laughs> working through a lot of can I curse on this podcast
2: yes you definitely can
3: I'm working through a lot of shit so <laughs> basically merde, if you will I'm basically like it's like there's a dark cloud over me that I need to burn and then I come out through the end of the tunnel into the light at the end. It's kind of like a giant a giant ball of yarn that I need to unwind and like unwind myself. So that's like the exorcism part of just working through all the shit. But then at the end, I've slayed and I have won.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> that must be so incredible like the feeling when you get up there and get to do that too.
3: It's definitely for me cathartic like very healing i'm always all about like positive energy and like laughter and having fun and having a good time but in this in this abstract way of working just working through all kinds of darkness and working towards the light i feel complete after every one of my performances if that makes sense it's like i have healed myself, but I also hope that I have translated that energy to my audience to help them work out whatever they're going through to help channel that energy to them so they've worked it out too. Sounds very therapeutic. I hope so. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I, I definitely feel that it, that it is. And lately I have been starting, I've been starting my shows off. This is, this is something that I, who did I, I was watching some YouTube videos and um, the idea of, of taking lipstick, you know, as a very gender uh, conforming object, you know, which you apply and then is supposed to make you look cute and girly. I want to break that boundary, open a tube of lipstick while my Casio jingle is playing start to put it on in front of the audience, but then just freaking smear it all over my face and draw all over my arms and throw the lipstick across the room and be like, okay, let the exorcism begin. I love it. I love it so much. And you have like
2: your outfits, your, I love your boots. You have these boots that you just, you're stomping. You're like really feeling it and they're lighting up. It's just like a spectacular visual and then the music is just so like you said I get I get the exorcism thing like I feel it and you I even feel it just listening to your music live it would be incredible to be a part of that and I hope when concerts come up again that people
3: that are listening will get to go see you I I hope so. I mean, sooner than later, I'm hoping to um, do a few live streams because I really do miss performing. The only trouble is that I had to, I had to evacuate um, my home rather quickly about a month ago due to circumstances out of my control. And I only was able to take my two Casios and my Glockenspiel, but like my effects pedals, cables and drum machine are waiting back close to the city. So hopefully I'll get those soon, do some live streams, and uh, I will keep you guys posted.
1: Great. Please Please do. Well, speaking of touring or speaking of uh, performing, let's talk a little bit about the tours that you have done. Who knows when the next one will be, but you've toured um, in the States and Europe. Is there a difference in audience reaction depending on what country you're in? And um, where have you not been, maybe, that someday you'd like to play a show? Great question, or questions, rather. (laughs) I would say there is definitely a
3: difference for me when I perform in France, because everyone there knows what I'm singing about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's always slightly a bit bit alarming for me, because I'm used to being somewhat incognito in the U.S., (laughs) (laughs) And then I get to Paris and they're like, what the hell is she talking about? Um, So it's always nice to be back in France, but I'm always a little bit caught off guard when people are like, what do you mean? Like the camel went to a barbecue with a glass of orange shoes. Like, what, what are you talking about? So France, the rest of Europe, I don't know. I just, I really do miss touring in Europe and was hoping to do more of that this year. I would say here in the States, I mean, I play a lot of indie rock venues. And the cool thing with my project is that I have played with many different genres. So, like, I could play on more of a punk bill or, like, a progressive rock bill. I mean, I've been I've been on all kinds of bills. Uh, so it definitely crosses over well. I was supposed to be actually right now on tour in Iceland.
1: Whoa. Uh,
3: supposed to be performing in Reykjavik tonight. So I am a bit bummed that that is not happening. But it's been rescheduled for October, so I hope that that does somehow happen. Um, But Iceland and Japan are definitely at the top of my list.
2: You did a little documentary thing for a Japanese channel, didn't you?
3: Yes. So um, a few years ago, I played my first South by Southwest. And I was somehow I was discovered by the NHK News of Japan, and they reached out to me and said, "We are doing a documentary uh, where we are following two uh, all-female bands, one from Japan, and then you
4: down <laughs> to South
3: Southwest." And at first, I thought to myself, "Wait, do they know that I'm not Japanese?" <laughs> <laughs> And they said we'd like to come and interview in your Manhattan apartment, but then we'll also see you in Austin, Texas. And I was like, What are the odds? You know, it's it's pretty amazing sometimes when you think about how I mean the internet obviously is it sounds cliche to say, but it's such a powerful tool and you just never know who's paying attention, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so they found me and we went down to first they came to my apartment and brought me bento boxes we all ate a bento box together and then I asked them to each hold a white tiger um, so I could take their photo and then I saw them in Texas and uh, they interviewed also this so this all-girl Japanese band who I have to say their name because they are phenomenal just incredible I think they're one of the best shows I have ever seen um, they're called Otoboki Beaver, and they are just four kick-ass ladies who are all shredding and crowd surfing and just just laying the smack down. Like, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever they've got on their mind, I mean, they will have everyone in the room for dinner if they could. They're just amazing. It sounds like you fit the bill perfectly with them.
1: I've only had good experiences seeing Japanese bands. It's true. They're so fucking cool.
3: Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's interesting. Yeah. They know how to rock. Yes. Yes. And I feel like, I mean, I've heard that Japanese culture can be somewhat conservative. And as a result, like the art that comes out of that culture is just the
1: total opposite extreme. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Good. Good point. I didn't think of it that way. Because you're right, yeah. it does it all, It does always kind of seem extreme in its own way. I mean, just just really like over the top. So
3: it's like that energy that's not coming out elsewhere is coming out in art, which I just think is awesome. You mentioned the white tiger. I want to know
2: the history of this. When did this become part of the show? What tiger? Are we talking about a real tiger?
3: <laughs> Somewhat real. <laughs> Well, so here's, this is, this is the story, the legend, if you will, of the White Tiger. Um, When I was a classical piano student at the École Normale de Musique in Paris, I had a four-hands duet uh, piano partner, and um, we had to pass, at the end of the year, a jury exam, which, if you've never been a student at a conservatory, is absolutely terrifying, because it's like... It's almost like being a figure skater in the Olympics where if you don't land all your jumps, you're out of the competition and need to come back next year. Whew. So and stressful. So stressful. And so I was real nervous before our exam and my uh, duet partner who was from South Korea gave me a small plastic white tiger, like a little uh, white tiger figurine. And she told me that in, in South Korea the white tiger, uh, is a symbol of strength and courage and like positive vibes and wanted me to have it so that I would feel confident to get through this exam. And Aww. long story short, we passed the exam, no problem. And then I just, I, I think I felt the magic, if you will, of the white tiger. <laughs> and I thought, this is just, this is just like, so it's like a cool idea what if I start passing on white tigers at all my shows randomly to some audience member, I just throw it in the air and whoever catches it, they've got the white tiger and they take it home. Um, so I just started returning the the favor, if you will. And at every single show I have, I bring with me a white tiger, which I buy, I sign it. And then right before I play my last song, I, Grab it by the tail, swing it in the air, and throw it into the audience. <laughs> I love it.
2: That's such a cool story. And I associate white tigers with you now, obviously. And, of course, birds. And I think they're just such a cute combo as well. And they it fits you so well because, like, you are the white tiger.
3: <laughs> you are two links. <laughs> Aww shanti
2: though we haven't met i can tell you're also a white tiger oh thank yeah. you so
3: much you definitely are shanti
2: Oh, guys. And you have told me some fun stories you have awesome fans they're just as cool and unique as you are you have great stories i was curious do you have any offhand memories of like favorite fan interactions
3: that you've had Let me think. I mean, just off the top of my head, I definitely get random gifts sometimes after performances. Um, Like I remember I was playing in, I think it was Dresden. And at the end of the performance, this guy just came up to the merch table and pulled a big, it was like a a button, like a a pin, you know, like a patch. Mm -hmm. He had a big button with the face of Karl Marx on it. And he just took it off his backpack and he was like, this has been on my backpack for 20 years and I want you to have it. Whoa. And I was, okay. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's touching in a way. I mean, it's like, you know, they're, they're just random things like this that come up I'm trying to think about anything else. But, uh, I don't know, no, nothing right now off the moment will probably come to me after, after we're done. <laughs>
2: I know you've been working on a lot of new music in the past like year or two. COVID is making things sort of up in the air about everything. But are you hoping to put some music down and release it sometime in the near future?
3: Great question. So a new album is done and I am still just deciding what's the best way to get it out there. But of course, given the current current circumstances that might have made things a bit more complicated if I don't want to self, self-release. self mm-hmm. Personally, I would rather not self-release, but it is always an option. Also, there's two new music videos that have been made um, that have not been released yet, and I am really excited to share those. So I'm still uh, sorting out how I'm going to release this record But hopefully, you know, sooner than later, the world will get a glimpse at least of one of the videos, like a single, Mm -hmm. Um, and then the next video, a single from the album, and then the whole, the whole album. So,
1: so we'll see. We look forward to that. I really look forward to that. And for I think anybody who is listening that um, may, like may not have heard you before, like, I'm pretty sure you piqued their interest. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. Of course,
3: as an artist, you know, you can't, you can't please everybody all the time. But I feel that those, those who are into what I'm doing are into it. So that's always, always a great feeling. And I'm very appreciative for that support.
1: Yeah, you think Yoko Ono is trying to please everybody all the time? No, no. <laughs> way. Well, Annabelle, is there anything that you or your bird would like to say before we before we go? I just would like
3: to say that I hope everybody is staying safe, taking care of themselves, and, you know, trying to to stay well. Don't give up. There is definitely light at the tunnel here and keep doing every day you know, just, just the little things that help make your day a little brighter, you know, talk, talk to your friends, make some food that you like, put on some great tunes. um, But just keep your chin up because it might seem like there is a dark cloud over us now, but dark clouds always have to go away. So just, just remember that. Thank Thank you. you for that. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you? Everything is up on my website. It's www.glockabell.com. Uh, Glock, like Glockenspiel Spiel, or like Glock the gun. <laughs> and I am on Spotify. I am on Bandcamp. And, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and all that jazz. But definitely Glockabell.com. And my favorite social media is Instagram. So definitely um, say hi and... Follow if you can at Guacabal on Instagram. You're one of my favorite
2: Instagram accounts, honestly. I love everything you post. Uh Uh, Your stories are always great. You find like great random things from like the 60s and the 70s that are always just so fascinating and fun. And your posts, you post, you know, your music and you do little things that are just so much fun. And I hope everyone that's listening goes and follows you. thanks Lynx. thank you and thank you so much for doing this i always love it when we get to chat so
3: this has been great my pleasure thank you so much to both of you for for having me
1: thank you thank you for being our first self-isolation interview (laughs) awesome we really um, appreciate it, and same everything that you said right back at you. I'm glad you've got some amazing animals and space and to keep you company. And um, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much, Auntie. Hope to catch you guys soon. Uh, be well and stay safe,
3: and uh, and catch you next time. Sounds good. See you later. Bye bye.
4: New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.